Hello and welcome back to The Other Side of Perfect. And on today's show, I'm joined by Daniela Moyles, who you may know as a former model and DJ turned author of the best-selling book, Jump. On today's show, we discuss burnout and how at one point, Daniela's anxiety was so debilitating that her digestion and skin were being affected. At that low point, everything called Daniela to turn to solo travel. And so she packed up her bags and after a whirlwind few years and lots of new experiences and perspective, she now shares her new journey and lifestyle online. Over the next hour, we talk about how to heal, finding your true self, becoming more ego aware and how you really should stick with yoga. I was trying to think back of when I first met you in person and I believe we were on a train having afternoon tea as part of like a Kildare village event or something like that. Do you remember that? Oh my God, no way. Yeah, I do actually remember that. That's so funny. That was a really nice day. We had like, yeah. Oh my God, I do remember that now. They brought us down the train. We got champagne. Like that was in the good old days. And then I remember I bought two pairs of sunglasses and I lost both of them like really soon after. And then I was like, I, I can't have nice things. There's no point. in <laughs> It's the universe telling you to detach from the superficial and the materialism. This was prior to like kind of leaving my job and leaving the country and going traveling. And I think already the signs were there that I wasn't made for the influencer life. Like it wasn't the life for me. The other side of perfect is struggle and strife and entrepreneurship and individual self-growth and ways that we heal and become more of our true self, but the journey along the way being the most important part. Going back to those influencer days where you're losing sunglasses and realizing that it's not (laughs) the world for you. You were on breakfast radio, you were modeling, DJing, you were into fitness. This is one of the things that always crops up when people interview you is the fact that you were predominantly wearing that badge of honor of busy. And I know that from the outside, you can look at somebody's life and have no clue of what's under the surface. Talk to me a little bit about the old life of Daniela. It's funny because to be honest with you, I think I was on the outside too. Like I didn't see any problem, you know, for a really long time. Um, And there wasn't really any problem for a really long time. Um, Like I loved my job for so many years. And that was probably the point is it was so many years when, when everything started to become a little bit more accessible. um, When social media opened up the industry, it probably felt like something new and novel but I had been working in media since I was 17 so and at that point I think it was nearly god it must have been nearly 10 years later when that kind of newer more flexible um career path opened up in the area and and I loved it for a really long time I mean it was never really um too lucrative And that was always something that I struggled with. And I think that's where the kind of predisposition for burnout came from, because I was always programmed to say yes to everything because it was survival. You know, it was like you would never turn down a job. You would never not do your best. You would never not um, show up. And because you couldn't afford to. Well, I couldn't afford to in my experience anyway. But I started as a model and then moved into television and then moved into radio. And I think really what happened was that by the the time I managed to tap into some success, it had been so ingrained in me, that kind of work ethic, that it flooded me really quickly. I got overwhelmed really quickly. I think the burnout now in hindsight happened probably between 12 to 18 months 
it probably took when I look back. Um, so it was around 12 to 18 months of just working really hard, um, way too hard. But to be honest with you, like I was very, very mind body disconnected. I didn't really I'd never needed to have a mind body connection. I'd never needed to self-reflect. I'd never needed to have that kind of interoception to be able to um, connect to the sensations in my body and modulate myself and and really prioritize self-care. For me, self-care was productivity. Self-care was my bank balance. Self-care was my um, connection to success you know um and that's probably that was probably part of the problem and when I think about it as well I'm not sure how many of my decisions were value-based decisions or how many of them were just kind of my short-term wanting I think I was doing things because it was instant gratification like it felt good in that moment to take that job it felt good in that moment to post that thing it felt good in that moment to um, date that person it felt good in that moment to do x y and z you know so you just overload your life without a huge amount of really considered um, decision making so that instantaneous feeling of whether it's the gratification of achieving something or getting that job getting that booking looking at that bank balance dating that person that instant feeling was obviously culling a deeper sense of desire that you hadn't tapped into it was more of a surface desire yeah I think I think honestly my decisions were shallow and my sense of self was shallow and um it really caught up on me like I really do think I paid the ultimate price um but I wouldn't change I wouldn't change a thing about what happened now if you'd asked me that three years ago I would have I would have done anything to change where I was at but um and I don't think it's when I look back now I don't think it's a bad thing I think it's a rite of passage how can you know what you don't know how can you grow if you don't go through something how can you um change or figure things out and at that time I just I just took on far too much without the right foundation in place without the right insight in place and without the right value system in place you know I think if you take on a lot but you can really truly justify why you're doing it you know yourself well you like yourself and you are working towards something that's bigger than you then I think you can really cope I think the body and the mind can cope when you have that kind of self-awareness and that kind of structure in place but I (laughs) I was depleting my resources enormously without much reason And so it took a toll, yeah, as I said, around 12 to 18 months of kind of a slow, steady um, rise to burnout. And the last three months were pretty significantly accelerated in terms of the symptoms. But again, as I said, it really felt like I was on the outside too. Like I really did not know what was happening to me. I really, really had no labels. I never considered myself someone who suffered from anxiety or would ever struggle with my mental health it wasn't something I was aware of in my family um it just I had no time for it I had no 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 linguistics for it either I had no language to put on it and it totally blindsided me which is ironic now because it was as loud as a foghorn like my body was screaming at me but again as I said how do you how do you know what you don't know I think if you don't have familiarity or the tools to deal with something 
that emotional and tap into the healing that's required. Just in terms of listeners who don't know your story, when you talk about symptoms, we're talking chronic fatigue syndrome, you were suffering with your skin and digestive problems. What was the breaking point that really led you to start and embark on this journey? Yeah, well, I I did have language around the symptoms. The problem was that I was I was dividing the symptoms to be repaired individually which really wasn't what needed to happen what needed to happen was a a much bigger more holistic lifestyle shift but I was going to the GP more regularly than any 27 year old should be going like I must have made a handful if not two handfuls of visits in a year and yeah it started with um you know fatigue which which wasn't that strange I was working on a breakfast radio show and getting up at half five I got the infamous uh, stress twitch in the eye then you know things that are very commonplace symptoms of stress like IBS bloating irregular kind of uh, digestive discomfort which then triggered you know hormonal problems which then triggered skin problems and these are all very commonplace things that people struggle with and try to remedy individually and usually it's indicative of a much bigger lifestyle problem um but you know, I did not have the wherewithal, the tools or the or the insight to to even see that as a as a red flag to slow down. And so I absolutely plowed on and the symptoms as they naturally would um, exasperated. And I, I was going to the GP with um, problems with my heart. I was getting this really, really intense sensation of um, the only word I had to describe it was like a bubble. And when I would breathe in through the pain, which was very sharp, there was a sensation that the bubble would pop. And it was it was so uncomfortable and so, so painful, like a really sharp pain. It wasn't an abstract thing like a heaviness or a pressure or tightness. It was a very tangible, sharp shooting pain. And I was sent for an ECG on my heart and that came back perfectly structurally healthy. And then I was starting to have these, which I now know are, are dissociation or basically when you're when the nervous system of the body is totally overwhelmed by by stress. And we know through polyvagal theory that your vagus nerve reacts in different ways. Some people go into flight mode or fight mode. Some people freeze, which is a mental dissociation, which is what I was having. I was just feeling like an outer body experience or a sense of not being rooted. And I I would have this overwhelming disorientation that was so distressing and I felt in myself like I didn't know who I was or where I was but if you were to ask me what's your name what's your date of birth where are you from I would be able to answer and so it was really confusing and honestly so distressing and again I didn't have the language around that I didn't know what was wrong with me I went back to the GP I was sent for an MRI scan on my brain Um, I was asked various questions like, you know, did you defecate on yourself after after this thing happened? You know, they were really trying to look for neurological problems. Um, And this is because it was the narrative that I was coming in with. Like I, I thought I was physically sick. You know, I was like, why aren't you finding the physical problem for these really intense symptoms? It was so baffling to me. And at the time, you know, I was still dealing with really bad digestive problems. I was going for intolerance testing. I was Um, trying to modify my diet and trying to take different adrenal supports, trying to remedy sleep with things like magnesium. You know, my whole life just became this constant attempt to remedy this much bigger problem, which I described in my book as like trying to put steri strips on a bullet wound. And it really feels like that in hindsight. Um, So after the ECG and the MRI, I then went back to my GP again with this sensation of like, 
again, when I when I think back now, I described it as like a tennis ball in my abdomen. It was like a feeling that there was a big lump in my abdomen. And she sat me down and was like, Daniela, she knows my family history. My mom was often very sick when I was growing up. And so I had a tendency to channel my anxiety into hypochondria because it was just such an innate fear for me. And she was saying to me, you know, Daniela, you've you've come to me a, a lot for a 27 year old over the last year you've been sent for every physical test we've done bloods after bloods after bloods you've had MRI scans on your heart you've had M- M- on your brain sorry you've had ECGs on your heart you've been trying and trying to remedy your skin your digestion your mindset have you ever thought about your lifestyle have you ever thought about taking up yoga and meditation and I honestly nearly laughed at her like my jaw hit the floor. I was like, are you seriously telling me that all of these painful problems, these distressing, horrible daily issues that I'm facing are going to be remedied by me going to a yoga class or sitting down quietly for 10 minutes? I was just like, what are you talking about? Where's my tablets? (laughs) I was I'm busy. I'm up for work in the morning. Like I don't have time for this because all while this was going on, I was still working on the radio show in the morning, I would go to do a photo call or some kind of photo shoot in the day. I would generally DJ that night. I was still super busy at that time. And I think it's easier in those situations than anything with mental health, whether it falls in the depression bracket or, you know, a diagnosed disorder or right at the bottom foundation of anxiety and people who have experienced it. It is so much easier to explain to your partner, your friend, your family or a GP a physical sensation. It's very hard to articulate disassociation. I've experienced it myself where it's almost an outer body experience where you're looking at yourself, walls closing in and the audio becomes disrupted. Your whole physical sensations are uncomfortable, full of fear. And for everyone, it's obviously different in how it manifests. But that feeling and describing it to someone for the first time is just so difficult that it's easier to say, I have a pain in my chest and I'm feeling a lot of stress in my head, as opposed to, I want to try and explain this to you and I hope that you understand. And I think that a lot of people go through that. And for anyone listening that's going to a GP for the first or 10th or 27th time. God, it's, I feel like... I am such a different person to who I was then. It's it's almost so difficult to give that version of me advice because would I have listened to it? Probably not, you know? I mean, we, we really see the world through the lens that we're programmed to see it through. And at that time, I think I could have told myself everything and I still probably wouldn't have listened. But, you know, the mind-body connection is a really powerful tool. And if you are going to the GP more often than you usually would, if you are feeling the symptoms that I just described there, perhaps it's worth just taking a moment and reflecting on your lifestyle, reflecting on how often you do deplete your resources without taking that time to replenish them. Um, and maybe just the the pure act of hearing those physical symptoms described like that might might trigger a sense of resonance, you know, a sense of that sounds like me, and, you know, that might have been what I was missing at that time was was the connection that those that those very physical symptoms actually had a much they painted a much bigger picture, uh, a much bigger picture of a of a stress response or or a um, a very serious depleting of my mental health, which is really all we have to experience this world with. So I don't know if there's any any blunt advice that I can give, because I do think people um, as I said, see the world through the lens that they're primed to see it. And I don't know 
if telling somebody anything uh, bluntly really helps that much. I think people discover things in their own way when they're ready to. And, and hearing things like that can be as useful as being told straight out, you've got a mental health problem, which sometimes can make people feel very defensive. You know, no, I don't. Um, after I left the GP office, though, something else, you know, to be mindful of was I didn't just like curl up in a ball and that was it. I still that was when I said the the last three months kind of accelerated. That was the big be- the beginning, the starting line of the last three months. Like I still absolutely stubbornly maintained my Google Calendar. I did everything that I was um already had planned to do. I didn't make any lifestyle changes. I think I went to one or two yoga classes and attempted a meditation. I hated yoga. I was so angry at the teacher every time I went. I would be like, stop telling me to breathe. I breathe all day long, every day, absolutely fine on my own. When I would sit down to meditate, I either found it utterly boring or just so distressing because I would think about all of the things that I had to do or did wrong or or my to-do lists or, you know, I just found it I was like, why am I sitting here when I have so much to do? And what happened over those the course of those three months was I really became, again, in hindsight, and because once you get to this point, you're so wound up that really you're more higher functioning cognition and, and ability to abstract think and reason is a little bit impaired by the level of kind of limbic or emotional stress response happening in the brain. But Um, I became really emotionally erratic like I was really struggling to self-soothe I was really struggling to regulate and modulate my emotions I was you know and it was spilling over into areas that I would never let it spill over to like in work I would do a link a live link on radio and I'd pull the faders down and I would just start crying in between songs and my co-host was like what is going on and we'd have to load extra songs into the into the playlist before I could come back on the air. And I would be like, oh, I'm just very emotional about Donald Trump's election or just something random, you know, just trying to explain just this increasing emotional irrationality um, that was, you know, layering on top of all of those symptoms that were already there. I mean, how somebody didn't, I suppose, bear in mind, I was 27, so I had vitality and youth on my side. But like how somebody didn't pull me aside and say, like, you are falling apart. But I think all that all that uh, indicates really is is how committed I was to productivity, how um, blindly and rigidly I stuck to that script of who I was, even when I was absolutely crumbling to pieces in every other way. Um, And what ultimately stopped me in my tracks was. Um, I was having panic attacks prior to this. I just didn't know what they were. They were just a kind of a more intense experience of that dissociation that I described. And they would last, you know, a number of minutes. And then I would feel very disorientated or very fearful and jittery for the rest of the day. But um, one day I went to a friend's wedding. And I think the the straw that broke the camel's back really was an absolutely terrible hangover on top of everything else. And I was driving home and anyone who's had anxiety that's quite bad will will resonate with this. But the the hypervigilance, the sense of everything being so overwhelming on your senses. And so I had all of the symptoms lists that I just described. I had all of the emotional irrationality on top of a hangover, on top of regular panic attacks that were happening. You know, they could have been happening up to three times a week at that point without me being able to label them. But I was driving home and it was lashing rain. It was raining so heavily. I was on the M50 and I was sitting next to my boyfriend at the time. And I remember thinking, oh, my God, the radio is so loud. The rain is so intense. The wipers are so fast. The cars are so fast. 
and I could feel this this building in my body of just the most intense it's hard to put a word on it was it fear was it was it that I was dying was it I still don't know how to describe it I did my best to describe it in like the first page of of my memoir jump but it's still hard to put language on it but I had to pull the car over and that was the day that everything stopped for me I think I think that was um the threshold where I where I probably went from very very intense like a panic disorder or an anxiety disorder into a deep depression um because when I got home that day I rolled up on the couch and my roommate fed me a mashed banana and I didn't get out of my bed again for many many weeks only other than to visit a therapist um and I my symptoms accelerated beyond recognition at that point I couldn't I couldn't eat um I barely showered I lot I got like I think it's called anhedonia which is where you lose any joy that you had in life everything just became very gray um and it, then on top of that I I developed this intense fear of swallowing I always thought I was going to choke and so even when I did eat or managed to eat it was a horrible experience and when I did get out of bed to go to my therapist I also developed this intense fear of footsteps behind me and as you can imagine in a city like Dublin there's often footsteps behind you so I really struggled to just walk 10 minutes through the city and it was just a very scary and confusing and overwhelming and broken time but I did manage to find my way out of it, even when in it, I believed that I would never. I really thought that that I had I had paid the ultimate price, that I had absolutely destroyed the zesty, happy, ambitious, positive girl that I was and that I had just um, broken myself. And that's true. I did for 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 a time. And I think I found out of that that there's 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 great positives. There's things I would never change. There's insights I gained and lessons I learned and adventures I had and changes that I made that I would have three of those breakdowns for now. And, and I never thought I would say something like that. Because that inner voice is said with such conviction when you're in that dark place that no matter what anybody around you tells you, you truly believe you have lost yourself and you will not find your way again. And that is actually true because you don't find your way again. You find a completely new path and you find a completely new sense of self. And as you say, you then reflect and you have the advantage and the positive affirmation that had you not gone through that dark stage, you wouldn't be who you are. You wouldn't have the experiences built up, you know, that have been so magical and transformative in your life. So inevitably, although no one wants to hear it at the time, one must self-discover that that journey and dark place is exactly what we need to have a completely new path. Yeah, I mean, it's like, it's literally the essence of every self-help book ever, isn't it? Like, it's funny because when you're in it, it just, it couldn't feel more personal. It couldn't feel more, and I'm not saying that at times it isn't. I mean, at times there's truly a need for for strong intervention. There's truly a need for um for strong supports, there's truly a need to, to with full effort, pull yourself out of that place. But oftentimes we do find our way. And as you said, we find a better way. But it, it, it's hard to accept that that really, really awful, painful, 
place is um, the making of you. Where do you think that that badge of honor and that pride surrounding business has stemmed from? Probably where I said, you know, when you start at 17 in a career that isn't, um, I mean, there was no frameworks, really. There was no union. There was no regular paycheck. There was no um, anything that you would have in any other regular job. Um, and so you're grafting, you know, you're really hustling for your, for your, um, this was my experience of it. This was how I felt. This is how I interpret it um, for your livelihood. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that that trained me. It trained me in lots of good ways too. You know, I'm a really good saver <laughs> as a result of it. I'm really good at um, monitoring my invoicing and my payments over a really long period of time. Um, there was, there was some positive to be gained out of living like that for so long. But I think what it really ingrained in me was that, that, um, probably a lack of self-respect around boundaries and saying no, um, and taking on absolutely everything and really, um, associating my self-worth with how booked and busy I was, how many people wanted me was, you know, and that, and that's, that's intrinsic with being a model. You know, if you call up the agency and you're not booked that week, no one wanted you that week. If you go to a job and the girls that you're working with have two more jobs after that, you weren't wanted that day. So I think over time, whether you like it or not, whether it's explicit or whether it's implicit and it's happening very slowly, just in the subconscious, like even just below your level of awareness, even if you can say to yourself, oh, this isn't personal or this is just not my day today. Or even if you can use all that rational thought, think about that repetition every day for a decade. It just, it just becomes a part of who you are and how you see the world. So it's a combination of the instability of income coupled with the sense of worth and self-worth that's associated with such a superficial industry. Do you think that your time in modeling slash that glamorous and not so glamorous end of that career contributed to that inner pressurized voice and almost hardened you in a way I think I'm very hard on myself whether I would have been like that in another job as well as you know how will we ever know in another life maybe I could test that hypothesis but I think you know could I could I um could I say that that's because I was a model I, I don't know I've never thought that way I think if you're naturally that way inclined I mean I'm naturally very ambitious I'm naturally very driven naturally very productive where to the point that I'll burn myself out you know so um would I have been like that even if I had you know worked in the bank probably you know I probably would have wanted to be the owner of the bank <laughs> um I think that's just in my nature and so when you don't have self-awareness around that and you are speaking to yourself like that every day you know that's naturally going to catch up on you um I had another point to make there, I'm actually forgetting it. <laughs> I'm really curious to see how you started to set boundaries and how self-care has evolved for you since then. Oh yeah, that's what I was going to say. I was going to say on, on top of um, it, it probably being in my nature to be hard on myself or to be driven, um, you were never taught the tools. Like I was, I never was given the tools to understand what our nervous systems are what they do what the stress response is and I mean I don't mean like in a basic biology class of course we got that information in that way but in an applicable real world sense I never understood my body my body my mind body connection 
um, things around breath work and movement and, and how to modulate stress, how to have a how to have a, a, a balanced approach to living in the world, how to be able to recognize when the just the small daily hassles that we all consistently face are depleting our resources and, and to have that self-awareness stop and go, no, I just need to go have a pedicure, take a bath, get a massage, sit down, listen to an audiobook, go for a walk. I didn't, I was never given those tools. I was never given that language, like like most of our generation. And I actually I'm so passionate about it now. My entire life has been totally transformed by the experience. And I'm I'm so passionate around people understanding this stuff. I mean, I've gone on the most intense nearly five years of self-educating and learning and going back to college and I'm happier than I've ever been in that regard but how again it comes back to how can you know what you truly don't know um and I really can't take any credit for it I mean in terms of the fact that I didn't have the um there was there was no point where I went I need to get the reins on this now you know, it was forced on me. It was forced on me at every stage. It was forced on me by my body, by my body giving up, basically, um, by my body shutting down. And then I had to very slowly and very messily um, find my way out of that. And I really always try to make that a, an important point that there wasn't a really simple, like three-step um, linear kind of um, climb from burnout back to well-being. It was, for me anyway, a very... Um, messy and long uh journey but it was a a wonderful journey like as soon as I got myself as soon as I tapped back into that mind-body connection as soon as I listened to my own body again I started to feel better there was around as I said around 12 to let's say 15 months of just steady symptom building then there was around three months of very intense depression and then there was um maybe uh six to eight weeks of rebuilding from listening to my intuition and from there on it got it was I wasn't myself but it was manageable and it felt right it felt good um and how that happened was when I did pair my life right back to basically just my bed and my therapist um, and of course, naturally, all the stresses of your everyday just fall away because they no longer exist or take up any of your time or energy. Um, there was space there, sp- space and time to think and self-reflect in a way that I had never had in, you know, many, many years of just working 24 hours a day. Um, and what I what I tapped into was the most counterintuitive sense that I just really needed to leave. And it was there's probably the stupidest decision at, at a time when I was so vulnerable to just be like, look, I'm going to go book a ticket and travel on my own. Um, but it was funny because it was so obvious to me, like nothing else in my life made me feel an ounce of joy, except for this tiny flicker in my gut when I would think about booking that ticket and getting on the plane. And I was like, what is this? Like, why at 29 years of age now, at that point I was, um, am I leaving my career, going to use my savings uh, in a position where where I couldn't be more in the the wrong mindset to be doing this by by social standards, you know? Um, But I had to listen to it. I I really had to listen to it. And I'm so glad that I did. I'm so glad that 
that whatever breakdown, whatever walls were broken down inside of me allowed me to take that moment to reconnect with myself and to see what I actually wanted as opposed to just being on the conveyor belt of life, just doing the to-do list of every day for weeks and weeks and weeks on end as the years slip by me and I'm never going to get my 20s back. I mean, booking that plane ticket and just fucking off around the world for two years was the single best decision I've ever made. And it's funny because solo travel, it can scare so many people and there's such a deep-rooted fear around Uh, shame and judgment of why people think I'm going on my own or why you know I'm not choosing to experience this with friends and yet it can be the exact opposite and you've described solo travel as almost a safety blanket and a gift where you felt most alive. I'm sure that having traveled to so many amazing places in the world that this year has been challenging in a way. I mean I'm back in college now so it's not really um, part of my day-to-day anyway. Um you know, I'm so, it makes me extra grateful for those two years when I think about the level of freedom I experienced. And, and I feel like I got it in just in the nick of time. You know, I feel like I really, I know that on my last breath, I'm going to be so grateful to my younger self for, for choosing that more unconventional path, for not investing in the mortgage, but for investing in the, (laughs) the string of hostels and adventures that I ended up going on. Um, And for not feeling stuck to the career path that I'd worked to get for 10 years and to trust in myself that I could build something new, even if I at that time had no idea what it was. Um, You know, uh, to be honest with you, it wasn't that scary to pull my life apart at that time because what was scarier was where I was, you know, the thought of staying one more moment in my mindset at that time was scarier than any decision like leaving your career or spending your savings or leaving your home to travel on your own. Um, that felt like a real relief to me. That felt like a possibility, like heralding a new me and where where I could continue to kind of reside in this space and time that I'd found whereas if I stayed in Ireland I felt like okay well am I just taking a couple of months here to recuperate and then I'm right back into that rat race I knew I was going to burn out again like I was done with it at that time I was like this is not me it's not who I am I don't even care about this stuff like I don't care about um being a a billboard on the radio I don't care about fashion makeup I don't care about most of the things that online influencing is about I was like what am I doing in this world like it's just not me and the second I admitted that to myself and was allowed myself to be who I am which is just none of that it was just the most um amazing mindset shift and it was one tiny step towards relieving myself of all the pressure and bullshit that I had kind of built on myself but I haven't found this year difficult at all because I think I've done a lot of years of work on who I am and and where I'm going and what I'm about and while I do absolutely love travel and I loved those two years and I'll I'll travel forever it's not the defining feature of who I am I'm definitely capable of you know staying in Ireland and as I said, I'm back in college. So I'm in my second of four years studying for a psychotherapy degree. And that gives me so much purpose and so much, um, such a love of learning and stuff at the moment. So my days feel really full in another way. Like it feels 
like the travel is ongoing it's just inward which sounds so cliche but sure look I feel like I'm a walking cliche anyway with the eat pray love story of going to find myself traveling so I'll embrace it across the board. How have you set that boundary and differentiation between your online presence and yourself like those boundaries what do they look like to you now? Um, honestly it's not hard anymore and I, I again I really think that's funny now because I had so little boundaries I didn't even know what a boundary was like back in in the days prior to the burnout and even for a long time after I didn't know what a boundary was um but again for me it just came down to um reconnecting that mind body connection and for me that was that came about through again time space um the ability to read and learn and self-reflect and think while I was traveling in a way that I had never been able to do joining dots in a way that I'd never been able to join them um going to do my yoga teacher training which again is so cliche but you know there's a reason that yoga is as big as it is all around the world there's a reason it's an ancient wisdom um and even though I turned my nose a bit at first and really really didn't like it um there was a reason that it provoked so much anger in me you know it was a showing me a part of myself that was really unhealed and doing my yoga teacher training was really a pivotal moment for me in in terms of healing and that was about eight or nine or maybe even ten months into traveling at that point um and it really was a, a fork in the road um in terms of kind of coming back home to myself and I've never lost that mind-body connection since then I I obviously practice it daily and teach yoga now um and have incorporated a whole in just an entirely different lifestyle now day to day um, and so boundaries come really naturally because I just have an instant intuitive ability to sense what's happening in my body and then to kind of verify or fact check that fact check that feeling against my values, you know, so I don't make knee jerk emotional reactions, but I verify that natural intuitive sense against my very de- defined values of who I am. And if they align, then it's a no or it's a yes. And so it's very easy now. It doesn't feel um, like hard work. I think that working on your gut instinct and physical sensations and going through as much self-work as you have done over the years, there's usually a huge element of empathy that comes with that. How have your human connections changed since discovering who you truly are? I think for the, the most important thing is I just don't take anything personally. I think I see the complexity of of human beings. I see how much we all struggle Um, I mean, I have spent years now reading and studying human nature, human mind. It's it's the vocation of my life now. It's going to be what I do till my last breath. Um, And, you know, nothing would have led me to that. Only the burnout, by the way, which is amazing. Um, But it's given me such a sense of just how complicated um, we all are and how so little is personal. We all walk around acting out of our own pain we all walk around acting out of our own kind of lens or perception or belief or um understanding of the world and so a very neutral event could happen and you know you and I could be watching and we'll interpret it entirely differently and so I just try to hold space for opposing truths and and understand that you know two things can be true at the same time and it doesn't threaten my identity you know I can I can be who I am, have my opinions and 
I can be open and willing to change and respect other people's opinions and where they're at and not expect everyone to have guru level emotional uh, intelligence, not expect everyone to have a mind body connection or to be able to introspect and, you know, meet people where they're at. Um, but I do think empathy, while it's a amazing virtue can also be, you know, it can also be really tough. If you're a really empathetic person, you have a really sensitive nervous system and, you know, your nervous system will be quite literally affected by your environment, the people you're around, like emotions are contagious to you. And so I think maybe I probably was always a little bit empathetic, but just didn't know how to regulate, didn't, didn't have the tools, the genuine tools and knowledge that I have now to kind of detach and observe rather than just get carried along in the wave of of emotion and energy that's in any particular place at any particular time um and so I think empathy is something to be harnessed and to be used effectively because otherwise it can just have you on a roller coaster all day long um yeah there's a sense of of depletion almost um you know where you're depleting your own levels that are required to look after yourself it's kind of a glass half full type scenario with the empathy side i'm sure along your various years of research that you've come across john kabat-zinn and wherever you go there you are was the first book that i read when i was really struggling with my own mental health and anxiety that book reminds me of that neutrality that we're all trying to achieve. It's not quite empathy because that's too strong an emotion almost because there is that sense of depletion, but it's it's almost just the removal of ego and the the neutral. Do you know what? I think often um, a good way to catch yourself in a distortion, like in a, in a cognitive distortion, which we all carry around, is those kind of polarities. Like if you find yourself getting really defensive or feeling really triggered or angered by somebody's point of view or somebody's... Um, I don't know, whatever they're saying or doing. Um, we're obviously, we're, we're generally uh, defend, defending some kind of rigid belief structure that we have. And honestly, like, it's very hard to objectively say what's true. I know there's, there's universal objective truths, right? But there's also lots of individual truth. And re- the reality usually is pretty gray. You know, it's not usually black or white. People aren't good or evil. You know, things aren't right or wrong. There's usually a a gray reality, like a murky middle ground. <laughs> and so I think what I've learned the most is to catch myself in those polarizing thoughts because they usually just make me suffer, you know? Like, and what's the point? You know, I, I don't need to defend this belief. I'm not going to learn anything by just talking and talking. So why not just shut up and listen? And if I don't agree at the end of all the evidence that's been given, well, then I can just say I learned about that person's point of view. And um, I'm not going to at this time, I'm I'm not feeling it's enough evidence to kind of change where I'm at, but I'm going to hold space for that person, respect them, you know. And I do love John Kabat-Zinn, by the way. He's amazing if we can go forth and find our purpose and, you know, live an egoless life, then that's, that's a good place to start and how he depicts everything. I mean, that's pretty hard, but I mean, it's, it's a good goal. It's pretty hard. It's yeah. I mean, I actually was at a conference with him the other day and I did like an, a 60 minute meditation. He's really intense. He's really intense. He was talking about like, um, Buddhist, you know, the, the eighth Buddhist, um, I don't know, it's, I don't want to say rules because it's not rules, but it's basically like uh, the guidelines to enlightenment. And um, yeah, he comes from a, a Buddhist train of thought, which I really, really enjoy. And I, I really like, I like that Buddhism doesn't ask you to take on any 
particular ideology or any particular beliefs that just ask you to look at yourself. But um, yeah, his, his teachings are are pretty intense. And I think it's an amazing aspiration. Uh, it's It's pretty hard to live and work in the careers that we do, you know, in social media, or even to have a social media presence, or to work in the in the media, or to, to have yourself be your own product, and to try and reconcile that with living an egoless life. It's it's a tough journey. I feel like you could try where possible to live an ego, I wouldn't say egoless life, but to work on the ego. An ego aware life is a good kind of middle ground. But you know, I feel like I'm um, moving and pulling slowly um, away. I mean, obviously, this naturally happens with age and just maturing and growing up. Um, I'm 32 now. You know, I started modeling when I was 17. It's a, you know, really long time ago. Um, Is that a cute doggy in your my background? <laughs> I don't know what she's barking at. She's not happy. She's tiny and she's she's tiny, but she's fierce. Um. But yeah, as, as I said, I think you naturally, you know, you move into a new chapter of your life. And obviously I'm moving now into being like a clinical psychotherapist, which is just a, a world away from where I was. Um, but it just makes you self-reflect. It makes you look at yourself. Can we take credit for that? I don't know. Is it age? Probably. Um, but, you know, not everybody, not everybody who, who who ages and grows up, you know, takes that time to self-reflect. So maybe it is worth giving ourselves a bit of credit for I think the credit is due when you just start the journey of exploring oneself and learning more about the mind and catching an egotistical thought or catching a judgment, which we are inevitably going to make throughout life. That's just who we are as human beings. It's intrinsic to our very nature to have opinions. And instead of trying to call them all together, it's just about accepting the fact that you're now noticing them and maybe you didn't before and just commend yourself for the awareness because that alone is a good first step. I really think awareness is the biggest gift you can give yourself. Like if I had awareness back at that time, there's no way I would have burnt out like I did. But there's no way I would have been as susceptible to burnout if I had awareness. So, you know, it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy in that, you know, how again, how can you know what you don't know? Um, but I do think awareness, awareness and acceptance, you know, like a full surrendering to exactly where you are, to to not be um struggling and fighting and pulling against your own reality that has also given me a huge amount of peace of mind I mean it's just the basics of the power of now or a new earth or any of Eckhart Tolle's teachings to be honest but it really is a profound and such a simple lesson you know you're only struggling with what is you know you're not going to change it so surrendering to where you are and, and instead kind of practicing a gratitude for what you have in this moment while also of course being proactive and, and and working towards what you want but you know just kind of letting go of that that pressure that that I ought to I should have I have to kind of narrative that just chastises yourself inside your head um has been a really a really good thing to do as well so awareness and surrender I think or acceptance it's quite difficult, I find, no matter how much work you do in yourself, to not let those pressures surface again, because you can be even doing um, a new explorative journey, or you could be starting yoga for the first time, or you starting a course. How do you stop those pressures and that voice in your head from cropping up again? Oh, I have done the work. <laughs> I'm actually writing a workbook right now. My um 
my manuscript deadline is the end of the month and it's out early next year and it it is literally the structural step-by-step breakdown of how to do the work of that inner journey how to put the reins on that kind of inner critic that um that very learned um thought patterns that we often battle with and as you said you know you can change your context and your situation and that doesn't mean that you can change the mind that's in your head and and you know will those tendencies just crop up again and again and the answer is of course yes you know changing your environment changing your job changing your um context is not going to change the fundamental um mental structures that you have in place to view the world through and so there are lots of tools and lots of ways to remedy that and it does take um a little bit of time and a little bit of conscious effort to rewrite those scripts um and to explain all of the different things that I did on a podcast would be impossible. So this isn't a shameless plug, but the workbook is going to be a very useful tool um, to break down um, exactly the work of how uh, I did remedy um, any wounds, emotional and or mental, that I that I found that were kind of perpetuating just an, un- an unhappy life. I mean, we're all here for a fleeting moment on this rock spinning around in fucking space. None of us know what is going on. There is no right or wrong, but there's certainly an ability to tap into just an undercurrent of well-being, an undercurrent of feeling at peace, feeling happy, feeling good. And if you can do that while you kind of drift along in all of this uncertainty and challenges and just kind of what the fucks of life, well, isn't that as good as you can hope for? And I don't claim to have any any big answers or any, you know, epiphanies around what the hell is going on because I really don't know. I'm still just doing my best and every day tapping into that mind-body connection and trying to live authentic to me, even if it goes against the grain and trying to maintain um, the work that I've done on my mind, on my inner critic, on any, you know, any tendencies to compare or to or to judge or to have self-doubt or um yeah any any of those things but you know it does require some tools and those tools exist and they'll be broken down to the best of my ability in a really really applicable and tangible and useful way in this workbook um and I really hope that it helps because the response to jump was so unexpected um for how much it resonated I I I never would have thought that that you know an individual story could be so universally applicable but the the message that I did get a lot was you know while while you could see the evolution of the journey in the pages of the book what you didn't see was the kind of um behind the scenes tools the tools of how my mind actually changed throughout that journey over that couple of years and so that was the um inspiration for writing the workbook was the amount of messages that that I got saying I, I resonated with the story and I I feel the same way as you but I just don't know how to bridge that gap between where you were to where you got um and I really hope the workbook makes that really easy for people to do I picked up on you saying initially you hated yoga and I have to say that I have experienced something similar in that I personally find vinyasa quite tough and it's emotionally tough I went to essentially it was a fitness retreat that was very purposely not called a boot camp because it wasn't about losing weight or anything you know there was no goal associated with the fitness but it was more so a retreat and I went on my own um kind of with a group of other women of various different ages and we're in this beautiful setting and house in Antibes and the sun is setting and we're doing vinyasa or yin at the end of the day, the start of the day. And 
I spent most of the time either struggling with poses or crying out of sheer frustration at my body. Phys- my physical form was frustrating me, for starters. My boobs kept getting in the way of everything. I was thinking, how the hell are you supposed to do these poses when you've got massive knockers? This <laughs> is not working for me. And, you know, there was that physical kind of humorous frustration. And then there was a really deep rooted sense of upset. And it was this cleansing upset where what it did at the end of those nine days or whatever it was, was my head was so clear going to bed, it was empty. And I had never in my life experienced sheer emptiness. And the emptiness actually frightened me. And I know that sounds strange because Adam kept saying to me, that's the purpose of meditation. That's the purpose of yoga. You are meant to empty the brain. You should feel that kind of clearance. And yet to me, my brain had been so busy and so full of thought and constant either self-critique or, you know, poor self-talk or have to do this and have to do that. And the emptiness actually frightened me. And is that something that's familiar to you? Well, I can't say that I got to empty, but I mean, I was so far from empty that I just... Now, go easy, Daniela. (laughs) I'm not any sort of yoga guru. Nine days and she was completely empty. No, but like there was was a clarity that happened that was unfamiliar to me. And I had got to that stage where there was just a slight emptying and I just wanted to kind of bask in that peace. And yet I was scared of it at the same time because I thought I have to think of something. I can't be not thinking anything. Yeah, no, I mean, I I mean, what you're saying makes total sense. We, I mean, we grow up in an individualistic culture that, that awards productivity. You know, from the moment we step into the schooling system, you are told you're good when you're achieving, you're doing things. And we have to relearn that our intrinsic value is there when we're still. We don't have to do anything to be valuable, to be worth, you know, worth something. Do you know how hard that was for me to learn? I still struggle with that. But yoga cracked my life open. And, you know, I still, again, I can't put language on it. It's, you know, I now have as I said, gone back to study psychotherapy, but I'm going to specialize in the area of somatic experiencing and, and you know, that that kind of mind-body connection, that embody, embodied sense of who you are, of being able to use the body to feed the mind and use the mind to feed the body. And they, and they are a, a linked unit that gives you not, it's constantly speaking to you. Your mind and body are constantly speaking to you in ways that you, well, that I didn't have any understanding that they could you know I really didn't think that that a psychical event could trigger a physical sensation in the way that it does uh, or vice versa um and what you're saying just makes absolute total sense but I'm just saying I, I envy you and that I didn't quite get to empty what it did do was it absolutely surfaced for me formidably and without anywhere to run um the the spectrum of suppressed emotion that I needed to face the shame the anger the guilt you know again this is uh, detailed to the best of my ability in the pages of jump um and will be detailed in terms of how I work through it in the pages of the workbook but um yoga there's something in I mean everyone knows it you know everyone knows yoga is the go-to you know um wellness kind of lifestyle tool um but there's some innate wisdom in that practice, in the movement of the of the body combined with the movement of the breath, combined with the um, continuous asking to focus on your bodily sensations, to focus inward, to take your attention back from the external um, 
places that it leaks to all day long, all the time to bring it back to yourself. And absolutely, the more I train and the more I I move into um, trauma-informed mindfulness and things like that, it can be a hugely distressing feeling because we are never thought to do it. We never take the space to do it. Things like relaxation can actually cause people distress because their body has spent so long simmering in like a low grade uh, stress response that when you when you actually switch that off and switch into your parasympathetic or your rest and digest, it can feel distressing to relax. You know, that's that's the culture that we are indoctrinated into. That's the way that was terrifying. It's absolutely terrifying. And, you know, it only gets more intense the more windows that we have to peer through into everyone else's lives. The more comparisons that we can make, the more perfect and together that everybody looks. Um, And I just want to be the first to say that I'm 32. I live in my parents' house. I've gone back to college for four years. I drive an 06 Yaris. I care nothing at all for clothes, makeup, hair, nails, nothing like that and I am absolutely content delighted and happy my purpose is if filling my mind and my heart so that I can give to other people and help them never go through what I went through I never want to waste a cent of my hard earned money on some marketeer or advertising person telling me that if I have this thing or that thing that I'll be happier I'll be better absolutely not my happiness comes from me from within from connecting that mind body sensation from feeling into my genuine intuition evidencing that against my values and living like that in the world and moving the way I want to no pressure for you know this is how it's done that's when you get your mortgage that's when you have your children that's when you settle down this is where you live this is how it's done this is how no we can intuitively live ourselves we can guide ourselves and I really think that that is where happiness is happiness is understanding that this is a fleeting moment in a playground like a magical playground of endless possibilities the only thing that limits us is our mind and the way that we speak to ourselves and the implicit ideas that we tell ourselves about the world I have to do this I should be doing that this is where I ought to be no like that's just shackles shackles what's wonderful obviously about the space that you're in is that you understand as well that people can be on an alternative journey and there's someone who's super passionate about sport or they could be extremely passionate about fashion. But once there's no material attachment to things and you know that this ad or this bag or this pair of football boots is not going to aid your happiness, that that's okay too, that you can have passions and you can have things that you are drawn to in your creative self, but that you're not attaching self-worth to those things. Absolutely. Everyone's story is subjective. Like, as I said, it's holding space for someone else's perspective, someone else's truth, someone else's reality. I think why that feels so important to me is because I came from that world. I came from the world of modeling. I came from the world of, and that was who I was. And so to be able to know that that's not who I am anymore. um, And I think sometimes we need that permission. You know, we're told over and over again, that those are the things that make us valuable. You know, you have to look good. You have to present yourself in a way that's in line with what society says um, looks good, desirable, successful, put together. Um, And actually, you can really move through the world in the way that you want to. You can move through the world in any way that you want to. And if that means working in the world of fashion or working in the world of, of beauty or modeling or any of the things that I came from that felt suppressive to me, Of course, that doesn't mean that that's suppressive to everybody. 
everybody has to live their own their own truth their own reality their own value-based decisions and that's what makes the world a playground that that's what makes it so colorful if everyone was the same it would be so so boring but it's about not getting lost or overwhelmed in the things that we're in and, and knowing why we're there and what we're doing and where we're going um in so much as we can in this random <laughs> random a series of events that we call life but like just having that intuitive sense of where you are so your successful book jump the tagline is one girl's search for meaning and you very much have explained that beautifully over the past hour and in any of your interviews and writings and I want to do just a little end on these bullet points that you've included as part of your book and I want you to give me a sentence or a word that you associate with those pivotal changes in your life oh god I wish I had <laughs> I want to say something so wise <laughs> no no it can be funny it could be just a word but whatever naturally like whatever yeah. honestly and authentically comes to your mind that you associate with that change in your life okay okay so growing up <sighs> growing up um <laughs> you don't have to don't do it it's it's a game don't grow up <laughs> yeah don't grow up no no do grow up do grow up um I think probably the fundamental thing that changed around that was um a, a extensive understanding of my childhood and how we all bring our childhoods with us whether we like it or not and we're all still walking around in our adult bodies as the children that we were um childhood has been profoundly impactful on my adult life as it is for all of us and I'm blabbering now so I'm going to shut up so I would just say of of enormous importance burning out a necessary evil love that okay you're getting better already you're only <laughs> bad decisions a necessary evil a necessary evil <laughs> number two goes quite well there best decisions of my life were the reckless ones and I wouldn't change any of them and again this world is for exploring unnecessary evil yeah I mean I think I'm I'm very reckless as a you know I think I'm quite spontaneous and you know I have to put the reins on that aspect of myself so that's probably never going to change and that moves perfectly on to reckless adventures the best days of my life <laughs> another one that I think will be with me for all of my days um love a reckless adventure and moving on to love <laughs> as a word it's as if you um, wrote these it's as if you wrote these down Daniela it's as if you knew <laughs> what was coming next the source of my greatest change I think our romantic relationships um uh force us to look at the aspects of ourselves that we need to attend to in a way that no other relationship in your life will and so all of my relationships have been the greatest source of growth. I feel as if the humans that come into our lives again and again are there to literally make us relearn a lesson that we haven't quite got right yet. And it's usually in the form of partners by virtue of the fact that they're not our friend group, they're not our family, they're not strangers or people we meet in the internet. They're the intimate partners that we have. And if you keep going for the definition of insanity is repeating the same mistake and expecting a different result and it's the same for partners where something keeps surfacing until we learn the lesson that is in front of us I feel. Absolutely and I think romantic partners are unique in that sense in that truly they show you aspects of yourself that you will not remedy anywhere else and you can choose to um, lean into that or, or pull away from it. They are the mirror that we don't want to hold. 
Yeah, all our ugliness is there to be seen, but all of our best bits too. Mm-hmm. And loss. I should have really done this the other way around so that we ended on a positive note, but hey. <laughs> um, I suppose loss comes in different forms. Obviously, grief is a, a weighty loss and something that is such a universal human experience and something we'll all have to inevitably work through. Whereas material loss or or a loss of the sense of identity that you've kind of constructed for yourself can be hugely liberating and actually probably the closest thing you'll get to that ego awareness we were talking about. So loss in some aspects is is I think, you know, one of the one of the greatest things that you can actually um, achieve, which is a strange paradox. <laughs> yeah, but it's true because it's such a life-changing scenario because it's out of our control. It's that lack of control of something happening that is so detrimental to our very being and it upsets us to the core that learning comes from that because we couldn't control it. Does that make sense? You have to lean into yourself then and trust yourself, you know, to find certainty and um, security in an uncertain environment. You said it much more succinctly than me. Daniela, <laughs> you've been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, thanks for having me. As always, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Please do give us a tag and share on social media if you tuned in. And don't forget to subscribe to the show for the next episode. Leave a rating or review on iTunes. And I'll see you next time on the other side of Perfect. Perfect.